Clinker Factor, the Cement Industry Podcast. Welcome to episode four of the Clinker Factor, a podcast from WCA which looks at the cement industry's response to climate change around the world. I'm Ian Riley, CEO of WCA and your host on the Clinker Factor. In the second episode, I talked to Thomas Schultz, the CEO of F.L. Schmidt, and Thomas emphasized the importance of technology in addressing climate change. And today we'd like to take a slightly different perspective and, and look at the development of technology over time. So today I'm talking to Matthias Mersman, who's the CTO of KHD, and someone with long experience of cement industry technology. We'll look at the role that technology improvements have already made to the industry's environmental footprint and examine the outlook for further improvements. So this is going to take more than one podcast, but we're going to start today with preheater and pre-calciner technology. And then in future episodes, uh, we'll look at grinding technology, alternative fuels and emission reduction, and then the plant of the future. So Matthias, uh, welcome. Can I ask you to start by giving us a, a brief introduction to your background and how you came to work in the cement industry? Yes, uh, of course you can, Ian. Thanks for having me on the program. Uh, actually, uh, my background is uh, that of a process and mechanical engineer. And I happened uh, to uh, graduate from the same university as uh, Thomas Schultz, by the way. Um, and um, to be very honest, my way to, into the cement industry uh, wasn't wasn't clear right from the beginning. Actually, while I was doing my studies, I didn't even think about the cement industry. I guess uh, that is part of the characteristic of the cement industry. No, not really many people have them on their radar. So anyway, um, I never regretted uh, entering into the cement industry over 25 years ago because I, I still believe that the cement industry is, is a perfect place for an engineer to be because it carries so much variety and width of technological aspects. And uh, I do not regret a single day of having been in the cement industry. So today I'm, I'm, I'm a chief technical officer at KHD, being responsible for the technological lineup, the products, and uh, one of my most pressing uh, objectives is, of course, to line up our product portfolio for the future requirements of the cement industry. Okay, thanks. Uh, so today we're going to talk about uh, pre, uh, preheater and pre-calciner technology. Uh, but perhaps before we start on that, you could give us some context. Uh, what did a cement plant look like before we had preheater towers? It's kind of hard to imagine one without, without one. Yes, that's true. That's true. So first, we got to give credit to some uh, uh, English guys who uh, invented the uh, process of manufacturing Portland cement clinker in rotary kilns about maybe 150 years ago. Uh, that was uh, a good invention. And um, um, there's a lot of uh, uh, process going on inside that rotary kiln. If you feed a mixture of limestone, mainly limestone, into one end, and then you have a burner at the other end of that rotary drum, as the material passes through that uh, drum, uh, it undergoes a sequence of uh, physical, chemical, and mineralogical processes to drive out water, to uh, drive out CO2, and then finally to form the clinker minerals, which we know as Portland cement clinker. 
Now that was a good invention and it was very energy intense. Um, the energy required for producing a kilogram of that Portland cement clinker may have been around say seven or um, seven, 8,000 kilojoule per kilogram clinker. And people started looking at ways to reduce that energy consumption. And uh, process engineers found out that this is all depending on the efficiency of the uh, heat transfer into the material. And the heat transfer, of course, is efficient if the particles have a good accessibility to the heat. And you can imagine uh, running all these processes in a rotary kiln doesn't give much surface for the heat to act on the particles. So people had the idea um, in the 1950s to take out some portion of the process from the rotary kiln and do that in the suspension flow. So to suspend this powder into a hot gas, which is actually then the off gas of the kiln, to, uh, to transfer the heat more uh, effectively into these particles. And that reduces the energy consumption. So, so this was, I think, a development that stemmed from KHD. Is that correct? Oh, that is very correct, uh, Ian. Um, KHD has the, proud, uh, the pride of being the inventor of the cyclone suspension preheater back in 1950 or 1952. Uh, that is true. And we, we still take pride in, in being uh, in this position. Now, the interesting thing is what is done uh, for preheating, that is for taking out the water, drying and preheating the material, can also be spun forward for taking out the CO2, which is the process we call uh, uh, calcination. Uh, that is happening at a higher level of temperature and also used to be done in long dry kilns. So the first attempts were to take out uh, the preheating action into cyclone preheaters and uh, still have the calcination in the kiln. Now, again, KHD and some fellow engineers in Japan in the early 60s last century came uh, to the idea uh, to even take out this calcination action from the rotary kiln and uh, do that in a device that was then called precalciner. And uh, modern plants still operate like this uh, because precalcination and preheating is best done in a suspension flow where the heat of the gas can be very effectively transferred into the particles uh, that is increasing the heat consumption massively, uh, the, uh, the efficiency of the heat consumption massively. Yeah, so uh, the early plants had uh, considerably worse energy efficiency than the modern plants. So can you take us through uh, some of the developments both to the preheating and to the precalcining? Yeah, if we assume uh, the heat consumption of a long kiln, and I'm, I'm talking about the dry kiln, uh, maybe only, um, the heat consumption in such a setup would be something like 7,000 kilojoule per kilogram or 6,000 kilojoule per kilogram, depending a little bit on specifics, site conditions, uh, and whatever. Now, if we take out the preheating into a suspension preheater, this drops down by maybe a thousand kilojoule per kilogram. And if we take out uh, the calcination into the more efficient precalciner, 
then we get down to those values which we are operating already today. So we are ending up at something like three and a half thousand at very efficient plants, maybe even 3,200 or something in that range. So we can say that preheater and precalciner technology has cut down the heat consumption uh, half. And so you're talking uh, about how many stages of preheater when, when you do the comparison did we start with four and now we've moved to five or, or now it's six indeed yeah that's that's also part of the technological development um, i guess the first uh, preheaters uh, will probably have been pilot scale uh, with only maybe one or two cyclones because we had to test uh, uh, whether this really works or not and very soon it got into, say, a standard four-stage cyclone preheater. Um, today, the number of cyclone stages is ruled by the humidity and the moisture of the raw material. Because uh, uh, we are designing the exit temperature of the preheater so that it just satisfies the drying energy demand for the raw material. So if we are dealing with dry raw material, we can afford uh, to go with a six stage preheater and very low exit temperatures, very high heat efficiency, but it doesn't make sense you know, to go for a six stage preheater and you'll have to afterwards supply additional energy to your raw meal department uh, if you need more energy to dry the raw material. So this is, a, uh, by the way, a very good example about the very early sense of energy efficiency uh, of the cement industry. Um, the cement process, if you include the pyroline and the raw grinding department to one energetic unit, the uh, utilization of waste heat uh, is, is already engineered to the max. And that is something that is really uh, a good example uh, compared to other industries. So on the uh, on the preheater, we've we've seen uh, developments in terms of efficiency and number of stages. And what about on the calciner? What what did the early calciners look like, and how have they changed over time? Yeah, that's a that's a wide subject. I guess uh, until we started discussing about low carbon footprint, uh, the subject of calciner design was maybe the the hottest topic in the cement engineering world because there's such a variety of technological solutions to it uh, and so many aspects to it. The first calciners uh, made in Japan differed quite from the first calciners made by KHD. So uh, in, in, in Germany and in Japan were the first attempts, while the Chinese colleagues, they, um, their calciners looked more like, like pots and cyclones. Uh, while KHD has always uh, developed calciners like flash tubes, um, that is a very decisive difference because the, the flash tube concept, which consists of, of a straight tube with uh, almost no variations in diameter, where the meal and the gas flows in the same direction, offers uh, optimum homogeneity of the process uh, parameters. So you have a controlled retention time, you have controlled temperature exposure. Uh, so the CAT signing process is very much controlled, very heterogeneous. While if you have 
hot type calciners, the way the meal moves and the way the gas flows is not necessarily identical. So controlling the process in terms of actively controlling how long does the meal sit in the calciner, how much heat does it get, is uh, quite hard to, to control. So I guess uh, for the Japanese and the Chinese to design these, these pot calciners, there must have been some advantages to, the, to that design. That is true. That is true. That's uh, uh, what I pointed out earlier. There is a lot of aspects to it. Um, of course, from the mechanical structure, from the uh, space requirement, from packaging that into uh, a preheater tower structure, uh, there's a lot of arguments pro and con. And of course, if you can deal uh, with uh, a calciner volume that is only half, like you can maybe achieve in a pot design, uh, this is, uh, this is uh, in some cases, of course, uh, an advantage. Uh, KHD's position on this is, uh, has always been uh, and still is that uh, we put much stress and uh, biggest uh, effort in um, optimized process. And um, we will we built uh, only flash tube calciners because this is the best way to control the process. And we believe this is creating uh, the highest efficiency. And uh, so we suffer a little bit in CAPEX, but uh, we, we gain in OPEX and in low emissions. Okay. And recently you've been building uh, calciners that uh, help to control the NOx levels as well. How, how have these differed from what you had before? That is also true. Calciners uh, in, the, in the late 80s and 90s became um, a subject of, uh, say, emissions optimization as well. That is because calciners are the uh, piece of equipment that the uh, exit gas from the kiln is fed into. And this exit gas from the kiln contains NOx because of that high temperature flame in the kiln. And the question was how to reduce the NOx emissions. So Kelsina designs had been adapted and developed in various ways uh, to uh, reduce the NOx emissions from the kiln. And the, the variety of technical solutions is almost endless. And uh, there are hundreds of different designs for calciners trying to optimize the NOx reduction, trying to, to maximize the heat transfer, trying to uh, lately also control the retention time for the burnout of secondary fuels, which is the next requirement that was put to calciner design. So if you look at um, uh, the demand for these low NOx uh, systems around the world, uh, is that something that you see uh, across the board or is it particular countries that, are, that have this requirement at the moment? Yeah, this is, uh, we understand that to be a natural part of the development of increasing eco uh, sensitivity. Uh, it will sooner or later cover the whole world. Uh, we hope so. We are actively working on it to, to help reducing the uh, footprint uh, on the environment. Uh, we see that low NOx emission requirement in Europe for a long time already, in Northern America for a long time already. Uh, coming up in India these days, uh, very, very stringent in China. Uh, China's NOx emission levels are much lower than everywhere else in the world. And uh, we have just developed a new technology uh, 
called the pyroredox, which is, you can say, uh, an extension of the calcina upstream in which we can reduce the NOx emissions coming from the kiln primary without uh, introducing ammonia or other secondary measures down to values which were never to be achieved in earlier days. So we, we uh, very actively want to contribute to uh, be reducing the ecological footprint of the cement manufacture. I was in China, working in China uh, for, for Holcim during the period of time when China brought in the stricter and stricter NOx emissions. Uh, and clearly the, uh, the impetus for that was to try to reduce air pollution in the cities, which you know, have been famously uh, bad. Uh, and of course, this same, this same uh, situation we see in, in New Delhi, we see in, in big cities across the developing world. So I, I agree with you that I, I think it's only a matter of time before other countries uh, see what can be done and, uh, and, and require their own cement uh, companies to, to do that as well. Yeah, that is so true. If you look at um, uh, the way that uh, plants are operated, so I, I know that uh, uh, in addition to building plants, you also look at uh, helping uh, companies to run them effectively. What do you see as being the main problems or the main deficiencies in the way that cement companies are running this part of their plants, the preheater, precalciner, you know, pre-kiln part of the, the plants. Yeah, that is very much uh, addressing the issue of secondary fuel, uh, which is a wide field in itself, and uh, which is, by the way, also one of the big levers in all those uh, low-carbon future roadmaps. So utilizing secondary fuel is paramount. Uh, it is cost-effective for the cement producers. It's good for the environment. That is a subject by itself. And utilizing secondary fuels is not always easy. Um, there's a lot of things to look, look for, uh, starting with preparation of the fuel, handling the fuel, and putting that into the process. Our task in, in all that field is to design calciners and uh, secondary fuel solutions, which allow a most trouble-free operation. Um, we have just launched on the market a new device called PyroRotor, which is a rotating drum attached to the, uh, to the uh, riser duct of, of the uh, kiln plant, to the calciner, you might say. This uh, machine is so robust that you can put all kinds of secondary fuels with a low amount of pre-processing into it. So that, that should enable cement producers to uh, increase their secondary fuel firing rate up to 100% of calcina fuel without having to spend much thought and, and experience much trouble in the sometimes very tricky behavior of uh, lumpy secondary fuel particles in the calciner. There's a whole lot of, a whole range of problems uh, that people have learned when using uh, excessive amounts of uh, secondary fuels. It, it can bring down the plant capacity completely. It can stop the kiln. It, it can be disastrous. Uh, it's very challenging from the process point of view and from the operation point of view. So at the same time, uh, this is the natural way for every cement producer to go. 
in order to reduce his uh, production costs and in order to contribute also to the reduction of CO2 emissions. So we engineers, we have the task to, uh, to provide uh, technology that allows easy operatable uh, and maximum uh, uh, substitution of, of fossil fuels by alternative fuels. And uh, KHD is not alone. All the um, other suppliers of, of equipment, they have their, their products in place and uh, we will see uh, all along the world, uh, it's starting in China, it's, it's starting in India now. Someday we will even come to America by increasing uh, uh, the use of secondary fuel. It, will, it, it is unstoppable, it will proceed. Yeah, so we'll we'll cover that in a in a separate uh, in a separate episode with us. I think, as you say, it's a it's a big topic all, all on its own. And uh, one of the interesting things with uh, alternative fuels, as you as you mentioned, there is that it depends very much on the local situation because it it depends not not only on local industry but also on the regulation of wastes in different different countries. And um, yeah, the uh, the pyrorote is quite an interesting development. But anyway, let's save that until until later. Uh, just coming back to the, uh, the, the to the preheater and, and precalciner technology, do you see differences in the uh, design philosophy today between the major suppliers uh, yourselves and and other major suppliers? Um, there is um, slight, I would say, but um, uh, first, uh, what what needs to be understood is. Uh, today we're only talking about cyclone preheaters. Uh, in former days, uh, there had been other concepts, but uh, we're talking about cyclone preheaters uh, only today. So, um, what is essential to understand is that uh, in some projects and some regions, en electrical energy is more expensive than fuel energy. So, uh, as these preheaters are producing pressure drop, the target for the pressure drop uh, might be more important in one project than it is in another project. And if you know how your cyclones behave, then you have in your hands to design your cyclone preheater to either optimize pressure drop or uh, to optimize uh, heat transfer and, uh, say, exit temperature. So it's always a trade-off. Uh, it's a trade-off within one cyclone uh, according to its design anyhow. And if you place several cyclones in a row, uh, still uh, you have some engineering degree of freedom. Uh, what is important to understand about cyclones is th those are machines which are very old. Uh, I don't know uh, how many years uh, cyclones are around in several industries still the interaction of flow of gas and meal is very, very tricky and you can do lots of mistakes. And there are actually cyclone preheaters around which are, are operated so badly, uh, not, not because the cement producer operates them badly, but they're designed badly. A little bit of difference in some geometrical parameter can make a whole lot of a change. Uh, and what we know uh, in KHD, um, the efficiency of one cyclone stage is depending on the efficiency of the meal distribution in the meal box and second step in the collecting efficiency of the cyclone. So you will have to understand that the heat transfer is done better if the meal is distributed better in the gas flow, which means the meal box must 
distribute and disperse that meal evenly into the gas. So it's a question of designing the right shape, the, the right flow geometry uh, to achieve best possible splashing. And the same, what, what you have splashed earlier, you have to collect afterwards uh, in the cyclone. So uh, this uh, comprises a whole lot of process and flow dynamics understanding. And accordingly, the, uh, the, the cyclones and the designs of the several suppliers do change and differentiate a little bit. Uh, we uh, emphasize very much heat transfer and, uh, and efficiency. That's why we also have an adjustable splash plate in our meal boxes, which uh, other suppliers don't have, because we know that the position of that splash box uh, at the splash plate uh, plays an important role in the effectivity of the dispersion of the meal in the gas flow. But are you able to model the gas flow better today than you used to be able to? Is that something that has allowed you to improve efficiencies? Absolutely, absolutely. The uh, advances in CFD are so massive uh, lately uh, that we can uh, model with a very high accuracy uh, today the exact behavior of the meal in the gas flow, which was uh, not possible, say, 20 years ago. And uh, it's like, like everything uh, in technological uh, development. There's a cooperation between, say, knowledge, software development, hardware development. It all goes together. And uh, definitely today we can rely on much better understanding and much better simulation than, than uh, our ancestors could do. So, so perhaps uh, one way we could uh, tie this together and, and, and uh, sort of conclude on the topic is um, just having a look at the Industry 4.0 and, and the development of control systems and uh, with respect to this part of the process. It has uh, improved uh, control, uh, AI, deep learning, etc. had an impact uh, on the preheat or precalciner process. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, uh, owing to the fact that 60% uh, of the energy input for a clinker manufacturer is put into the calciner in terms of fuel, uh, it's clear to see that uh, if you run this process uh, optimal, uh, your whole process will be running optimal. And uh, in that sense, controlling the calciner process has always been a focus point of automation. Now, with the new technologies coming up, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, uh, and all this, this is getting a new push. Uh, the cement industry, I have to say, was very early uh, also in other technologies like model predictive control and, and process simulation, uh, very early. Um, so there's no reason to be shy. Uh, working in the cement industry, uh, we have some very good engineers uh, and, and always had. But now with the new uh, methods we're having, uh, the data-driven methods, uh, we are going to see a new step ahead in the control and automation uh, technology. And that uh, will be necessary uh, in order to fulfill also the, the stiff requirements we're going to face in the future regarding uh, alternative fuel usage and low CO2 footprint. So everybody's working on it. We are working on it. Uh, the cement producers are heavily working on it. Uh, this is maybe the hottest potato in the cement industry these days. Okay, well, thank you, Mahaz. Um, perhaps we uh, would 
draw today's discussion to a close uh, there. And uh, we can pick this up again uh, next time when we talk about uh, grinding technologies, another area where control systems have played a very important role. So Matai, thank you very much for, for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing, seeing you again shortly. Ian, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. And uh, I hope that uh, we reach a lot of people with these important subjects. Okay, thank you. Thank you.